0: Welcome, everyone, to the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a man so cultured, he's read all 52,946,398 pieces in the collection of the New York Public Damn Library. It's Pete. Hello, Pete.
1: What do I look like? Damn Public Library, Daredevil episode 111, The Path of the Righteous, man is brought to you by father latem's decaf lattes you can have four but there's still a little bit of caffeine in there they just can't get out made from the finest ingrained beans sure beats a you hoo matt
0: you know it's gonna be a good episode when we both use the same bit without having spoken to each other one more outburst and I'll
1: hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. RT's Matt, is a big old fake out. Old cartoons, uh, characters boxing here, and a uh, little girl washing suddenly, thud. Fisk is carrying Vanessa uh, into an emergency room with uh, a bunch of security men. Doctor comes over, uh, a nurse. They inform him that she drank something, uh, but they don't know what it is. It happened at the Van Lunt Lunt building at the benefit. Uh, There were others. Leland, of course, is only worried about himself. He had a glass in his hand. Does he need to be checked out? Vanessa has been unconscious 20 minutes, we hear from Wesley, maybe a little longer. Uh, Leland is concerned about the rat hole nature of this ER and uh, that it was the closest. That's why they went there. Wesley uh, informs Fisk that he reached out to Dr. Rosenberg, who is on the jet, clearly a private physician, doctor noting that pupils are sluggish. There's talk of intubation, uh, you know, ringers, lactate, KVO, Foley catheters to be inserted, uh, possibly hemodialysis and gastric lavage. They need to get a tox screen and check out liver and kidney function, coagulation tests, et cetera, et cetera. All of which is going to land Vanessa in the ICU. Um, They're not sure how many others, however, Leland tells him about four or five and uh, asks again, you sure somebody shouldn't be looking at me? And it's told a nurse will come back and check them in a little bit. Fisk, however, wants to stay with Vanessa and the nurse matt pushes him sorry we can't have you in there okay and his true nature reveals himself do you know who i am and uh she says it doesn't matter clearly she doesn't read the paper or watch tv and uh you know he needs to fill out the paperwork we will update on you on the condition as soon as we know something and the door slams
0: Pete, it is a scene punctuated by little moments, as is so often the case with this series. Uh, That initial opening there with the cartoon had me wondering if perhaps we were back at the Captain America radio hour, as shown in uh, Agent Carter. By the way, if you haven't heard, Agent Carter coming back. We're all surprised. We're all happy. Can't wait to podcast it. Uh, Same thing there with Leland asking multiple times if he shouldn't be checked out. He is... I don't know that Leland is necessarily a fully three-dimensional character whose whistles and bells we completely kind of, you know, get inside of. But Bob Gunton makes this guy who's maybe two-dimensional just so wonderful. And the fact that he, in the presence of his boss, is like, yeah, so there's this lady who might die. Can we check me, please? Yes. (laughs) Just, just I absolutely love it. Not every actor is going to get... Top billing as the hero or last billing, you know, and Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk. Some people need to be in the middle there. And Bob Gunton knows you get the part that you get and you make it 110%. And you you make it real as the actor. Absolutely wonderful. And then great writing there is that little female nurse is pushing back against the giant mass of of flesh that is Wilson Fisk. It doesn't matter who you are. Here's one for the little guy Pete as we head into the title card.
1: The rest of the episode begins proper with Matt Murdock in his apartment. Karen is knocking, trying to get a hold of him, and she brought a balloon.
0: This bringing of a balloon I thought was um something that we have all done I suspect, you know, you buy a balloon, get well, happy birthday, you know, happy mother's day, whatever it might be. I d- I don't genuinely know uh how much a balloon means intrinsically to someone without sight, obviously you know the intent and and all that is is I'm sure appreciated as it is with all of us, but the fact that she needs to explain to him uh what is on the balloon, and here is the balloon, the fact that he can't just kind of see it there bobbing in its balloon way, which is you know contrary to all the other things that don't float up in our home. I, I, to me there was just this wonderful false note of her bringing it i don't mean to do balloon analysis here but i just felt like it was something that she had not f- thought through and something that she figured out partway through her visit that this was not a great present for the the as far as she knows completely blind matt murdoch
1: well with matt looking like s51 uh, he invites her in and they have this discussion. And I love that they didn't play around with, oh, so you were in a car accident? That's too bad. What hit you? And she goes right for the jugular of not suspecting that, that that's actually the case. You know, um, once we get past the, was it expensive in German, et cetera, et cetera, because we know it was a Japanese car, right, Matt? <laughs> well,
0: that's what he says anyway. Right. plus you know uh, wink wink Japan. emphasis on the Japanese less on the car
1: yes and the you know drinking early in the morning and everything like that and everything is pointing to Matt's world falling apart and that she's there that she greatly suspects this is all a fraud that uh, Foggy is you know gone rogue and uh, she even thinks at one point asks him straight up did somebody break in with the amount of damage apparent in the apartment. But, um, you know, having lied about, uh, going after the, uh, union allied pension file and, you know, Matt briefly getting the upper hand in the conversation. Um, you know, she talks about Daniel Fisher that, uh, you know, everything that they've gone through. And, and this this is really a Karen episode wrapped in the other characters. And, you know, that's apparent when we get to the end. But, you know, the, the steps that she takes, the progression that she takes begins in this scene with, you know, the conflict she has with Matt Murdock.
0: Well, and... Pete, your point is such a great one here that that it's a Karen episode and we really see her kind of uh, bursting against the mold that has been placed on her by circumstance or her job title, whatever it might be. And it's a credit to Marvel Television that they're willing to go there with her because I don't know that we would have necessarily um, found fault with the show if it was Matt Murdock Daredevil always kicking butt against Wilson Fisk The Kingpin, helped by best friend Foggy Nelson, and also occasionally the secretary who may or may not become a love interest, Karen or something. You know, P.S., also some episodes with Night Nurse. The fact that they're really willing to elevate her um, outside the trope of the comics uh, to, to make her as best as possible um, uh, an equal share part uh, partner in at least in in story function in Nelson and Murdoch um, obviously she's not out there doing ninja moves but as close to equal equal shares of Matt and Foggy and Karen as possible it just makes sense in retrospect let's give her something to do other than answer the phones in a course of 13 episodes
1: yeah and when she brings up having found um Fisk's mother in a facility in upstate New York and how we know Matt is going to admonish her because of that it it has a familiar ring but at the same time it's necessary to move this particular story in this episode forward that she's got to be told repeatedly from every character in this episode who cares about her that Knowing that Fisk killed his father at 12 is not enough to erode the groundswell of support he's gained in the city.
0: And best of all, it's 100% true in their world and in ours. Uh, reference, I think, is made to time that has passed. You know, this was 30, 40 years ago. Or 40 maybe years 40 ago. 40 years ago. So, like, it's absolutely right. Who cares? And the minute later on that how it would get explained away is pointed out to her. We're just like, yup, you know, the, these things happen occasionally and it's awful. And then 40 years later, you don't care as a populace. So it's, it's nice to see her kind of fighting for truth and justice, even though it's not the real world truth and justice.
1: From Matt, self-loathing and Karen kicking him while he's down. We go to Foggy, straight, straight up, self-loathing.
0: <laughs> indeed pete he has uh shall we say recently made the beast with two backs with marcy from landman and zach and um he is all grumpy and i think we can understand we all wake up grumpy too when we've been en flagrante delicto with a curvaceous blonde that has few scruples it's just it's just natural
1: yeah but when he doesn't pick up the phone that karen's calling him when uh He says things like, use your inside voice, uh, you know, or without speaking. She's complimentary, you know. Well, that's very not nice of you. Um, You know, I'm impressed.
0: We'll have a discussion later on about another character who, though minor, is given uh, full three-dimensional – sense of being in this show you get that sense with marcy too yes she's a bit of a caricature but she really kind of um doesn't care and there's people in the world here the fact that she's you know done the deed and then wakes up and it's like eh he's kind of talking to me in a disrespectful way guess what she knows she's going to work and he's going to lock the door when he leaves and i don't think she has any regrets because you know whatever the backstory is for 12 hours ago she had one thing in mind she kind of got it the end girl power i guess she she done him as much as he done her pete
1: and she's not going to get sucked into the drama this is very true back in the hospital waiting room fisk is surrounded by no less than four security guards wesley and leland and there's just something that that doesn't ring right about Leland's comments in the previous podcast when the stuff went down at the benefit I talked about it, it it's still it's uh you know uh Hamlet's mother Gertrude protesting too much me
0: Pete he is so eager to blame the Japanese um despite the fact that Wesley says they've gotten everything that they wanted they've got the building and the coat the, the the land and the code you know city building codes et cetera et cetera. um still though leland blaming the japanese leland wondering how fisk can still be in charge um and leland drawing together the dots to say that they're all you know they're all coming for fisk he,
1: coming for all of them he says you know whoever tried to take little miss hairdo out of the equation that she wasn't the only target that they're not going to stop
0: so I think it's officially time to uh, to red flag Leland here, and wonders uh, if this guy who clearly has presented a, a a case in the past for for being concerned about self preservation, if there's more of that
1: now. Right, and you know, despite the hot dose in Vanessa's Bellini, that they all need to be looking over their shoulders. Um, himself included and we had pointed out you know he grabs the glass and was very demonstrative and the slow motion shot of him dropping it and even the way I had one too shouldn't you be looking at me (laughs) (laughs) because
0: I could have been poisoned
1: by myself Um, but uh, Wesley directs him at this point to reach out to Gao uh, and he's surprised that he's the one given this but wesley kind of managing things for fisk who's very clearly preoccupied as that comes up throughout the course of this episode and uh there it is again he says i was almost poisoned i'm not thinking straight
0: (laughs) although (laughs) an even better line is when um sure enough wesley's saying no go talk to gal if it wasn't her she'll you know presumably she'll want to help out uh, and if she did have something to do with it, then it was an honor to have done business with yes. Leland. <laughs> it is a good way. It's a great way on Wesley's part to find out if Gal had anything to do with it. If Leland does not come back, problem solved.
1: Cut to Claire in Matt's apartment, stitching him back up, which he uh, had re-injured in the conflict with Karen there. He had grabbed his uh, lower right side. And uh, he's got a nice five or six inch slash there.
0: He does. It's nice to see her back. Um, I wondered if perhaps it was a bit of a rough, um, you know, a rough bit of storytelling in terms of I thought we had gotten the and now I shall leave and not return moment. And we're about to get that again here. But, you know, it's it's okay to have some leftover evidence after 15 16 17 hours of this show across 13 episodes of times where the story maybe didn't didn't you know hit hit the best home run and i think claire's return here is evidence of that not that i'm complaining because it means we get more of claire
1: you can never have enough rosario dawson and that all the necessary points come out in this scene that you know he's meditated to help speed up healing which we see a little bit later on that uh you know the the story point of the armor that uh that Fisk had and that he needs to get himself something like that which she had brought up earlier on and then back to where they are as far as not having a relationship that she tells him that she's always going to be there but you know to a point
0: i love the shades of regret here um and i kind of like the um non-committal goodbye that she gives she's leaving town for a while she's not going to say how much time um but if she really needs him she'll be back if he uh,
1: really needs her
0: indeed well
1: maybe maybe
0: vice versa maybe that was a freudian slip of truth but yes indeed if he does need to be patched up and implication being and nothing more she'll she'll always be there for him so i'm officially saying as somebody who is 100 percent spoiler free that this is her goodbye from the season um although i think she'll be back in the future maybe in season two
1: well, she was signed for season two, and they just well, said that the other day. <laughs> you know,
0: I, I I didn't want to say that to our most spoiler free listeners, Pete. Part of the the Matt spoiler free purity nation hashtag it. Um, just there are because purity
1: rings with that, right?
0: There, there are. It goes all the way around, and then it goes. It's on the inside of the ring too, because you want you want both sides to be pure. Um, I. I mean, it's you slightly spoilery like that. in that that means like it's not going to be, oh, no, I think they're going to shoot her in the finale or whatever. But I genuinely think having having no idea about what happens in episode 112 or 113, that this is it for Zara Dawson, period.
1: Well, that she brings up Sunday school and the martyrs, the saints, everything going on there, the saviors that she wants Uh, Matt to act in his own self-interest and not in everybody's self-interest but there's that duality of doing this for the city which is the same time as something he does for him but he does it for the city it's it's a very much a gray conversation rather than the black and white you might think that it would be.
0: And in a series that has not shied away from religious discussion, this is the first in a number of scenes that I think make the the religious aspect of the series a bit more prominent.
1: Down by the river, Karen meets Ben, which seems to be a place they often congregate. And uh, he's still a little sore about having been brought up to see Fisk's mother under false pretenses. Pete,
0: I don't mean to pause the analysis of the story, the characters, their churning emotions, their, their motivations, etc. But I'm going to pause it just for one minute here because it just occurred to me. And this is how we do it. We do it live. The muse whispers in our ears, etc. Pete, with the skyline li- sky rather behind them and I believe the Brooklyn Bridge to their left, does that mean that they are in Brooklyn looking at Manhattan because it's either that or they're in New Jersey looking at Brooklyn. So they're not in Manhattan at that moment, right?
1: I don't believe they were.
0: So I now look and I, I want to say I understand the need for them to meet secretly and and without other people looking at them, et cetera, et cetera. But I just want to point out he's a reporter primarily based in Hell's Kitchen. She has an office in Hell's Kitchen. That means that they both need to get all the way to another borough just to have a quick little meeting again is it worth it because you don't upset you know the fisks of the world or et cetera. absolutely just want to throw it out there for you out of towners that you're probably looking at a mm, 30 minute um subway ride or in ben's case to drive over there who knows how long if traffic is bad just to be like i thought you weren't going to call me again listen this is why it's a bad idea all right goodbye
1: Right, and to the uninformed, it's just another place in the city. It, it brings up memories of the meeting he had with the mobster in uh, the first scene we ever saw, Ben. Same type of thing. Um, you know. To, to everybody else, it's it's just a place to meet. To us, it's, wow, they drove 45 minutes and <laughs> crossed down traffic to get there.
0: <laughs> there was a lot of red lights where it's like, oh, man, I hope I meet her on time just, just so I can tell her That thing we discussed last night was a bad idea. But, Pete, that's what the scene is about. Ben chastising her for taking him upstate on the pretense of caring for his wife so they could talk to Fisk's mother.
1: And where she's trying to get him to see the upshot of that knowledge, he plays this out. Okay, Uh, he's going to go on TV, maybe even wheel mom out, and tell the... You know, probably uh, too hanky story, Matt, of, uh, you know, how he saved his mother from a violent father and people are going to side with him.
0: And as I said earlier, it is 100% believable. This is even outside the realm of willful suspension outside. Well, if a guy could make a rocket suit, this is just... Yeah, this guy who suddenly has appeared saying, I want a better city, and I, I wanted to keep it quiet, but I can't, so now I'm going to be public, and we're going to do fundraisers, and I'm going to talk to people about using my influence to make the city better for everyone. By the way, I did a bad thing forever ago. We all would say, yeah, no problem. You were a kid then. Oh, the guy was awful. Oh, okay. I, I wish, like, Child Protective Services could have played a bigger role. They didn't, end of story.
1: But she rails this entire episode against Matt, against Ben, against Foggy to get them to do something, um, which she does at the end of the episode. But the idea that he's now heard something went down at the Van Lunt building. She had heard food poisoning, but he's got an unconfirmed source that this might have been something else. That there's a rabbit hole here like so many of the things they've looked into that Fisk could be spinning this, that he's got pull with the media, maybe even at the bulletin, which puts him potentially in danger.
0: And is a nice bit of – I don't want to say foreshadowing, but it's a nice bit of um... – story business later on uh and and i'll mention it just quickly now since it actually doesn't pan out but later on we see ben alone in the office with like barely any lights on it feels like a dangerous place and this is probably the um the origin of that in addition to some other story stuff that we can discuss in due course just this idea that nowhere is safe because fisk is that powerful
1: back to fisk at the hospital wesley comes to sit by him with some coffee And uh, he talks about a time when he believed he was complete, that he didn't need anyone to truly understand him. And we see the, the glorious thing, Matt, that's been done with this show is they've put the villain through all of the paces that the hero typically goes through. Here, worrying for the damsel
0: it is an excellent point and it's part of what makes this so darned different compared to so many other shows out there, whether they're in the comic book mold or not. He really is so absolutely sympathetic. And furthermore, we feel such sympathy for Vanessa who, whose biggest crime is to what, to have put up with the bombings because she understands a larger picture um, I will refer you to the New York City of the 70s, 80s, and first couple of years of the 1990s, you know, (laughs) not a great place, and when some questionable but not completely awful things were being done, you know, you hear stories of homeless bust out of the city and dropped off in, you know, New Jersey or, you know, lower state New York and don't come back. I mean, again, not cool, but also you sit and go, and there was no homeless man with his privates out in Times Square today, like... That's her biggest crime to not be condemning Fisk for his drastic actions here.
1: Fisk, however, is uh, overcome with what would happen if she dies and he tasks um, Wesley with finding out who did this and then comes with this one that once he finds out who it is, he wants to look into their eyes and salt the earth with their blood.
0: That is the most angry and extreme version of that sentiment that I have
1: ever
0: heard. Kudos to the uh, writers for coming up with a a variation on a familiar notion of salting the earth and all of that that just sells it.
1: But Fisk resolves to uh, put... Vanessa out of harm's way he had told her before that the safest she could ever be was by his side and now again overcome with guilt that this happened when she was indeed by his side so he wants to get her out of the city Wesley wisely tells him that he doesn't think that's the greatest idea but he wants the funds allocated and moved around and even more so Matt he puts Wes in charge of doing it, not Leland, which I think is further seeding to this theory that uh, Leland is in on this
0: perhaps fisk's subconscious if you allowed me if you will allow me to go the freudian route here perhaps fisk subconsciously is starting to put these details together even though uh his conscious is too kind of emotionally overcome uh i sure hope nothing happens to wesley by the way um so that so that this order of fisk happens immediately
1: yeah but uh Dr. Rosenberg comes in and Fisk runs to him to find out that while Vanessa is in an induced coma, uh, she's going to pull through. And we go from there to church where uh, Matt is uh, there long after morning service. And uh, is this about confession? Is this about a latte? What is this, Matt?
0: Pete, I'll admit, I'm not entirely sure why he is there because he he says he doesn't want to confess. He says he's not there for service, but he says he's not there for coffee, but I think he wants to, to have this moment to reflect on his shortcomings. He wants to confess, essentially. He wants to confess not on what he has done, but what he has been unable to do. Um, uh, the father asks uh, if he ha- was able to stop the man, and Matt says he tried to but didn't, and didn't kill him. Um, and, and I think there's just kind of this moment of... Um, I mean, I know he has done sinful things. So if you want to call this a confession, fine. But I think in Matt's mind, he is almost here for an anti-confession. Like, uh, I didn't do those bad things. Can you tell me what to do next so I can go stop the man and kill him?
1: Well, when they're on the subject of angels and demons within people... He asks Father Lantham, you know, then why did God put the devil in me? And what we come back to with Father Lantham explaining how uh, Lucifer fell from grace, uh, to become this symbol, to be feared, that's the big takeaway with, you know, what happens a little later in the episode.
0: And there's also just that chilling, chilling moment where, um father lantham says you know yes he has a pretty good idea who matt is and what he does and it it really is to the credit of this series for stripping away some of the comic book conceit uh even in our beloved agents of shield there are kind of moments where you say who knows where in the world they are that's in a driving distance of washington dc but they don't bring that up because they get into a jet and go to africa in a couple hours There's stuff like that where you say, oh, well, it's it's a fun comic book show. You know, that's not what we need to worry about. You know, we want to make sure the characters are being internally consistent and all of that. Here, though, this is reality with a capital R where Lantham is able to put together these particulars to be like, you know, look, here's a guy who's beat up and here's this, that, the other. I don't quite understand the blind portion of it. But, yeah, this guy is the masked man
1: and father lantham citing the path of the righteous here that needs to be tread that's the real big phrase in addition to being the title of the episode
0: again kind of returning to to the religious aspect here and it's it's a rare show that is able to have such a religious dialogue and it not feel heavy-handed or not feel pardon the pun preaching um, and just this this notion here of of the devil, and by extension the one can assume to be named Daredevil, um, th- that there's a need for a symbol of fear to help to help uh, you know the, the average people path, uh, or rather go on the uh, path of the righteous. It's just this idea of we need the push in the right direction, and if we need it, then somebody needs to be that.
1: So we get this screen wipe which is not something I've seen in this show to this date and Matt is suddenly meditating he relives the fight with Nobu with Fisk Um, we have him wake up gasping there's rain and thunder he goes to his closet trunk opens it up and then suddenly we're in the street with our old friend Turk (laughs) Baron.
0: it was so nice to see turk barrett back um i i've I, I was recently listening back to some of the earlier episodes of the podcast and it was like oh yeah turk barrett he was in you know a number of episodes there and such a such a great character and i mean that in the sense of like how we might say about a real person oh he's such a character because he really is just this larger than life guy who I, I don't know he's another minor character who is 100 percent fully realized here when he could be he could be some kind of, you know, fictional two dimensional caricature. Um, I love that he's introduced. He's running from some terror. I mean, we can uh, assume what it what it will be. Um, there's more of that yellow, dirty light. There's Dutch angles which tip the camera mm-hmm. this way and that, that speaks to the terror that he's feeling. Um, and then he's caught, and he's smart enough, not really, to put up a fight.
1: Yeah, and that Matt knows, in addition to the one gun that he's standing on top of and Turk's hand, that he tells him, you know, you're not going to go for the knife in your boots because I'll break your leg. You're not going to go for the backup piece behind your belt because I'll throw you off the roof.
0: <laughs> Convincing indeed. And uh, his purpose there is that he wants information and um. He wants to know where the, bar, the body armor, Fisk's body armor is from. And in a really, I don't know if it's, it's a small world or if it's just, hey, this is, where, this is where it is. But he's about to throw Turk off the roof into the dumpster where, uh, where the Russian was, was thrown a number of episodes ago. And it was like, oh, yeah, that is the water tower in the background. Looks like here we are kind of repeating ourselves.
1: Back to Fisk in the hospital where a heart monitor is beeping. His cell phone is buzzing, and he notices it is his mother, but he doesn't answer. He kisses Vanessa on the head, goes outside. Wesley is already on the phone, but as soon as he is off there, uh, talks about how she has not woken up yet, that uh, Rosenberg says there might be complications and uh, puts Wes on taking care of his mother's needs. Uh, Also there came the understanding that uh, Leland comes through and he's telling uh, the security guides to get out of the way, which I think further cements the idea that he's, uh, he's trying to elbow his way into things, Matt. Um, And, talks about how he had uh, met with Gao, and uh, he's seen there as invisible as Fisk goes back into Vanessa's hospital room.
0: You know, Pete, ordinarily I might have said that Fisk being so overcome by the problem at hand with Vanessa that he can't take the phone call from his mother and thus handing it off to uh, Wesley, which becomes its own story branch. Uh, as opposed to Fisk taking the call and immediately snapping into action. I might normally have called that kind of, you know, hand of the writer, convenient twist, but you really get the sense here that he is so genuinely overcome that he can't pay attention or he can't take the call at that moment from his otherwise consistently abled mother. You know, yes, she has diminished uh diminished capacities but it's the same as it was presumably last you know yesterday last week last month last year so he can he can let that wait furthermore i just love the idea that references made later on he loves his mother more than anything he loves his mother more than anything but he's also willing to keep her at arm's length and sit and say yes he loves her so much like in his mind and then she calls And because he's busy with something that's really important, (laughs) he lets his like assistant guy take care of it. Because he loves his mother so much, he's going to have somebody else take care of it. To me, that is 100% consistent with the character. Not that he does not love her. Again, that he's keeping her at arm's length.
1: But this irascible Leland it's a monologue at times you know talking about well, what did gal say i don't know you know a bunch of fortune cookie s 54 uh you know west wants to know does it sound sincere i don't know she was speaking chinese and i don't think the translator liked me
0: (laughs) this is the scene where uh i was first starting to really wonder as to his nature and then going back hey He made such a big deal about not having, you know, about having been so close to having been poisoned, etc. This is just so muddy. Everything that you mentioned, Pete, it's just so like he's making it up on the fly because he just said to himself, "I'll just tell him something," and then now the something isn't quite, quite there because it's not the recounting of a real event or or casting the the details in a real light and. Again, I have no idea, uh, but we will see. And I kind of feel bad. I'd like to have Bob Gunton season two, but you know, you, you have to pay your pound of flesh in the course of, uh, of a season.
1: It's with that that Wesley reaches out to um, Fisk's mother, Marlene, and that is intercut by uh, the man in the mask dropping by Mr. Potter's Workshop.
0: Now, we had mentioned when Potter was first uh, introduced how it was interesting casting because he certainly didn't look like, I don't know, how you might get a tailor out of central casting. You know, small mousy guy, big glasses, um, you know, (laughs) measuring tape around his neck. Um, And what is about to happen later in the scene is in no way predicted at all as he comes in. And there's kind of some neat camera move where the masked man now isn't there. Then he's behind him all in one shot. And a heck of a fight breaks out
1: yeah between him guzzling yuho and then somehow noticing that uh, the vest that's on the torso mannequin there was moved ever so slightly having it out with the man in the mask and uh him grabbing his uh, his wound on his abdomen at one point through this pretty brutal fight. There's use of chains and a, and a buzz saw and all sorts of other things. And then, Matt, when have you ever been made to feel for an assailant as you do at the end of this scene?
0: You're absolutely correct. I'll just quickly mention in between these two uh, portions of this fight um, – Wesley gets the call from mom. He gets a gun and keys from Francis the guard and goes off to solve the problem himself. But more importantly, you have these repetitions of Melvin Potter, the tailor, saying, you're not supposed to be here. And just the notion that he is, you know, of diminished mental capacity himself, um, but nonetheless has these savant tailoring skills, It's, it's, it's amazing. And then he starts to talk about Betsy. Betsy will be hurt. And I love that we are given nothing about Betsy. The show will be best served. If we never find anything about Betsy, Betsy could be a variety of people. Yeah.
1: You mean the show will be Betsy served?
0: (laughs) Betsy. Wow. See, see, they know, but it it, it is, it, it is an amazing performance there. The care that this actor imbues into Potter's simple kindness it just makes the mystery of Betsy come alive. And I think for, for, each, for each viewer of the show, you imagine what, who or what Betsy could be. You know, a neighbor of his age, a neighbor who's much younger, a neighbor who's much older. Pete, you even said maybe a, a non-human
1: neighbor. I think it, it, it's very possible. But what does Matt want out of this? He doesn't want a suit. He wants a symbol.
0: Indeed, and what's the payoff? It'll be a way to make sure that fisk doesn't hurt people anymore and I have to say, as spoiler free as as I am, and we've discussed in the past Pete how um the show was barely thirty six hours out of the gate uh when Netflix changed the um the album art for lack of a better phrase um from
1: the avatar.
0: The Avatar there you go from from Matt Murdock with sunglasses to the Daredevil suit you, you know so I mean that's that's no longer been a mystery that has long since not been a mystery, but how we get there and when the when we get there has been um, and I dig it that this whole time we're going so where's the suit where's the suit where's the suit And here he's slowly starting to hint at it and we're kind of looking at the clock going, but we're halfway through the eleventh episode and there's only two more Where's the suit? Love it. <laughs>
1: We join Karen, who stops by Josie's bar. She's been looking for Foggy. Finally finds him. They have it out. It's all about here, this third opportunity for her to talk to one of these guys about what they should be doing and not what is actually happening.
0: I, I appreciate how he's reiterating that he's angry. But we knew that. Now he doesn't want to work with Matt. We knew that. And she recaps how she found the Nelson Murdoch sign in the trash. We also knew that it was an odd scene because they're so mired in emotions. The characters are. But I personally felt mired in kind of the molassesness of their mire. It was a weird moment, and I'm not quite sure why we needed to hear that that he's down and out and she's still fighting.
1: And then when she goes back out of the street, she calls Ben. Um, this conversation had a ring of finality to it, Matt, which makes the end of this episode a true twist because in 75% of TV, this is Deborah Ann Wall's uh, you know, big goodbye scene before she's killed off.
0: I totally agree to the point that I was watching, uh, I was watching this episode last night, and it was getting close to bedtime. And I said, "Oh, I only have fifteen minutes left," and I was so convinced once when she says goodbye and then we have ben alone in his office i was convinced that one of the two of them was about to get shot in shocking surprise fashion particularly ben they're doing this close-up scene of him i was just convinced the gun was going to come boom cut to a wide shot of his office lighting up in gunfire and that i was going to be so upset that i wouldn't be able to go to sleep i actually stopped (laughs) watching the episode and said i will watch it tomorrow even though I'm sure one of them is about to die. Like, not even before the end of the episode. I can look at the timer and go, there's 15 minutes left. One of them is about to die, and I don't want to be upset right before bed. The fact that none of that happened is shocking and amazing. And as you said, Pete, it's it's a twist in and of itself.
1: Well, with her previously telling, you know, uh, Foggy and Matt to get their S together for 55 um, to her talking to Ben, who's looking at old photos here. Uh, there's an a food store. Uh, there's a picture of uh, the Vote Bill Fisk sign in one of the windows there. And, you know, you just got the sense this is her opportunity to say goodbye. And, you uh, you know, the, the whole, well, I'll talk to you tomorrow, right? Sure, talk tomorrow. You get the feeling one of them wasn't going to be around to talk tomorrow.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
1: Then uh, Fisk is with Vanessa and, uh, you know, really wonderful character moment here. Talked about how, you know, he doesn't know how to pray, <clears throat> that his father was not religious. The mother tried to be. Um, but just couldn't do it. And then when he was sent away, he had seen it in movies, TV and books, but it felt like an imitation that he couldn't do it.
0: And There's that great, great line there. He makes a promise that uh, not even God, if there is such a thing, yes. can stop him. The people who do this will suffer. And I mean, my goodness, talk about, I won't even say on the fence about, about, God to sit and say, um, my, you know, my 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 desire to do something can't even be stopped by God, which okay, fine, maybe you're speaking hyperbole, but then to say, but while I'm referencing God, if there even is such a thing, I mean not even such a person, if God is even out there, there's kind of the 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 um I don't want to say humanity, because obviously, you know, God is not a human, but just the the personage of God, not even referenced in his in his words just the notion of god as a thing a thing that can't stop wilson fisk i dare say pete that's the kind of hubris that sometimes defines someone as a bad guy
1: matt it would be remiss if we did not point out that karen had walked up to her uh building door the light was uh not functioning a uh, little S-word action there, 56, and uh little chloroform over her mouth. She wakes up on a table there, and Wesley, poorly lit, we come to learn, is in the room with her.
0: The the, the pacing in this scene, at least initially, it's so very slow. The, it, it really kind of luxuriates... In, in in the best way in the worst way in her slowly waking up slowly realizing what's going on immediately slowly connecting that to her last memory um and as you mentioned wesley there he's uh at least his his outline is lit by a yellow window behind him more of this this dirty yellow light that uh that kind of you know artistically is infecting hell's kitchen um and then then this great line from him, he was worried that she wasn't coming out of it, which would have been a shame. And then you don't know if he's toying with her at that point or not. And it's, it's a great, great line.
1: And to take her back through the paces of her own character's development in terms of the Union-Allied story and having been involved with Nelson and Murdoch and everything there, Than being paid a reasonable amount of money. Well, what was a reasonable amount of money that she was just supposed to go away, fade back wherever people like her are supposed to go away to.
0: And it's that highlighting of the smallness of her as a person that she's just this little peon in this, in this city that has actually important people like, fisk and developers and crime lords and that she's just this hardly hardly significant person there and and that he's almost um indignant that she has stepped outside her station in life to continue to cause trouble and that it's been her choice and her choices have brought her here it's not an old it's not a new rather notion in this show of the little guy versus these impossible powers that tower over us but Here, it's almost like the reverse. It's the powerful man saying, how dare you step out of line?
1: But only so powerful, Matt, because remember, he serves Fisk. And uh, he asks Karen if she loves the city and she confesses she hasn't been there long enough. And he says that he thinks that growing to love something is simply forgetting what you dislike about it. And he says, honestly, I don't love the city, but. That he serves a man who does so much, almost as much as he loves his own mother. Matt, as we podcast this on Mother's Day.
0: Indeed. The irony, grim indeed. Um, and 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 the details that he gives, grim as well. You know, that, that the, the city has a filth that can't be washed away. The garbage stacked up. Uh, I mean – garbage which i've seen stacked up as well in my times in the city just i'm assuming it's garbage day i don't quite know where it goes i know i lived
1: through a strike matt i had to pac-man myself through (laughs) streets of garbage piled up as tall as i am
0: pete do you do you hate the city or did you grow to love it by slowly forgetting what you disliked
1: i love new york city
0: wow impressive
1: He's surprised that um, Fisk's mother remembered Karen. He equates her memories to fleeting Gossamer, but the the nice blonde lady with the big blue eyes and a man, which he's guessing part of this scene here is Mr. Urich, that uh, his employer, sorry, old habits die hard. Mr. Fisk is, uh, you know, not to be disturbed here. And uh, he's going to be really upset if uh, he finds out that Karen not only found, but met with his mother, Marlene.
0: And Pete, there's a little lesson in there that future writers listening to this podcast can file away. If you are going to have something happen, which is improbable, but not impossible, then – have your characters say, wow, how improbable that she would mention. It is not impossible. She is not comatose. She has not had, you know, a uh, severe brain injury, you know, like a hit to the head or whatever. It's deteriorating memory. And some stuff makes it through just fine. Most of it does not. So the fact that he is saying this should not have happened makes us say, oh, well, if he knows it and I know it, then it's just one of those things. Lightning strikes people and sometimes... You, you, you know people at this at this phase of life remember the strangest things that that ordinarily they wouldn't or, or, or might not have
1: but she tells him that you're just gonna have to kill me uh just do it i'm sick of listening to your bull s 57
0: Ooh. i wrote that one down too wesley's bs um but he, in what I thought was also a twist, he's not there to kill her. Um, bringing his line in that uh, from, from earlier that he would have uh, regretted if uh, if he had uh, drugged her too much. He's there to offer her a job,
1: and it's here that we're cutting it in with what Fisk is doing. He's come out of the room. He's asked for coffee black. He wants to know where Wesley is, and Karen is saying, "You know, this is all to be your your secretary." And Wesley's explaining, well, it's a little bit more than that. You've proven yourself resourceful. And he goes on a very long-winded explanation. (laughs) And she says, is that even English? (laughs) Simply stated, though, that she's convinced Yurik about everything, that now he's going to flip the script, that he's going to make her convince Ben and all the others that Mr. Fisk is a good man and then spread the gospel to everyone infected with her negative point of view.
0: Gospel infected. I mean, it's, it's an internally consistent episode and how it is framing these things.
1: And that, uh, you know, she's not going to be the first to die that Mr. Yurik would be given that honor first, then Nelson, then Murdoch. Then after that, your friends, your family, everyone you've ever cared about. A very familiar ring to the way that Fisk's enterprise goes about its business.
0: Indeed. I mean, it's a nice reminder. This is simply how they do business, this promise. And the promise that we know, at least through implication, uh, is is indeed how they do things. Uh, This tension here is interrupted by his phone ringing. He puts his gun down and uh, Wesley just sits there and of course the whole tension at this point moves to this guy who we have seen enough times in the previous 10 episodes as somebody who is not um, prepared to be the guy uh, either literally or figuratively pulling the trigger himself uh, although he doesn't particularly have qualms about seeing it done how prepared is he was this a mistake or was this a test is it Did he outthink her or did he did he make just a, 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 well, frankly, a silly mistake? The show, though, really wisely cuts to Fisk um, and um, just adding to the tension even
1: more. I mean, do you really think, Matt, that Wesley would put a loaded gun on a table where Karen could reach it? But she clicks it and she asks him, you really think this is the first time I've ever shot someone? Uh, and he goes to touch his glasses one of those wonderful character affectations that we've come to love out of uh, toby leonard moore and he starts to talk and she shoots once for the shock value and then i counted, in the
0: shoulder code for he'll be okay
1: and then i counted seven more shots <laughs> She puts her hand over her mouth. The phone continues to ring. I counted five bullet wounds distinctly as she gets up and goes away. And we're left with that, you know, ring over and over again of Fisk looking to get a hold of his major domo here. Jackson, you're is badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode?
0: Pete, let's start with the primary baddie in this episode, almost unquestionably Wesley.
1: You know, I, I tweeted it earlier today. I want a show where somebody needs to compile all of the looks, dialog looks, that Toby Leonard Moore as Wesley has done throughout this episode. Season throughout this show and they're priceless the the smug look the the sad look the happy look nobody emotes more than uh this character not even fisk who gets quite a bit of that stuff
0: i will assume that after seven gunshots he the, the character is probably done for. Could you have well, the actor?
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa! That we sidebar, baby. Well, okay. Well, well, how about this? Sidebar. How about
0: this then? I'll frame it like this. I don't know how much of Tony Leonard Moore we're going to see in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but he really, really is a fantastic actor, and I, I know that at New York Comic Con when we, when we saw the Daredevil panel, um, there was a closeness between him and Vincent D'Onofrio, which is to be expected given all the scenes that they must have shared. Um, I like to think that the the more famous D'Onofrio um, a- a- and Tony Leonard Moore, if not able to work together again, will you know that they kind of rubbed off on each other in an artistic way because it's there's just so much subtlety to James Wesley.
1: And think about it; it could be such a thankless role, but this actor just eats it up in the spaces in between and makes it something truly. To savor, you cannot like the character, but you come to really want to watch the character, which is not something you can say for all of them.
0: Well, one other character that you certainly can say it about is Fisk, who I will say again, if if Vincent D'Onofrio is not nominated for an Emmy this summer for this role, then it just shows what a lot of us know already: there is a Netflix bias at the at the Emmy bunch. But Pete. Talk about Wilson Fisk, kind of a a sideline baddie here, but baddie nonetheless.
1: I talked about it before. So smart to flip this around and have him go through the paces typically reserved for our protagonists. The worry, the fear if somebody should die. When's the last time you've seen a bad guy worry if somebody in their life should die?
0: I mean what just popped into my head was uh, the complete opposite of that which is the the um monumental joker as played by Jack Nicholson and his number 2 guy Bob who at a certain point towards the end of the story Joker just shoots him that's it for Bob
1: after you know handing over his own gun
0: <laughs> <laughs> indeed we are Complete opposite here with Fisk and his relationship to Wesley. And I would even argue his relationship to the no-name guards. I mean, one is named in Francis. There, there's yeah. a scene where uh, Wesley has stepped out uh, you know, to go get Karen, and Fisk steps out and says, you know, uh, can I get a coffee? Black, please. He's asking these gun-toting peons, please. Why? Because he's decent to them
1: but fully formed in the sense that his attachment to these two women in his life, Vanessa and his mother really is at the forefront of his evolution as a character. He so rejected the uh, father figure he had murdering him. It, it never becomes at in the sense that, you almost thought it would with the mother shushing him after he had done this. But, you know, places such importance in their well being.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And somebody who is seems to be placing less and less uh emphasis on anyone else's well being other than his own is is the uh just the wonderfully shaded Leland.
1: The, the weaselish nature of this character, I still think, you know, the number of times he's got to point out being near this poison, holding a glass. Like, who really thinks you held a glass of, of this champagne that that you had any contact with the poison? Well, I think
0: anyone who that actually happened to would, but most people would probably... Calm down quickly and enjoy the fact that they are living, you know that that they haven't also been attacked and and as said earlier, Pete, I think it's a case of the Lady Doth protest too much. Um, and we're not even in level seven yet. I think that's just a reasonable extrapolation from the story uh, from the story thus far. next up, Pete, let's talk about the return of Turk.
1: Yeah, you know, if this gun don't work, my name ain't Turk Barrett. <laughs> Mi- missed him, seriously missed him. You know, we, we got him front loaded so much early on and you were kind of like, is he is he coming back? Is he coming back? And then once you could make it out, you're like, God damn it, that's Turk Barrett.
0: <laughs> Going to the New York Public Damn Library. I mean, again, and I'm repeating myself, but only because the show does these things so well. Here you have a character where you feel like you have a complete read on who he is as an individual. And then now go back and watch a ton of other TV shows where he would just be familiar goon number two. You know, and he might have a name, he might not have a name. But you'd just be like, it's that guy who had sold the gun or whatever a couple of episodes ago. Meanwhile, Turk Barrett is a fully realized character. And Pete, speaking of fully realized characters, we have in just this this mammoth quickness here, uh, the reveal that uh, Mr. Potter is actually a character of great great dramatic depth.
1: You got a little bit of a hint the only other time we saw Melvin Potter, that something was not off, but not to say completely apparent um, to the viewer. And... To have this beat down happen with a, you know, 60% strength Matt Murdock and then the reveal that this character is clearly limited in his capacity, that he's motivated through the fear, like so many of these other characters, of harm to someone or something else, it's touching. And you don't expect to be touched coming out of a scene in which you've kicked this other guy's butt
0: it is a phenomenal presentation there of of melvin potter pete i i dare say that we're done but perhaps one more person should be added to the list here karen
1: yeah you know seemingly taking a life at the end of this episode and forget her attempts throughout this episode to try to get matt and ben and foggy on board with her plan to expose fisk uh patricide it's the deed here that lands her squarely on the defendants
0: yeah and it really is a case as every character tells her that she's pushing too hard on this and there's rules to every game and there's rules to the law and there's rules to public relations and there's rules to the unwritten rules and she's just barreling past all of that and uh I i guess we'll see what her fate is as well
1: your honor may i approach the bench may i approach the bench time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge.
0: And Pete, we will just remind our listeners that if you judge this podcast to be up to snuff, please do visit patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash fantasticgeek to help us with our bandwidth and storage costs So uh, so we keep bringing that gold, Jerry. And Pete... Let me start here in uh, in approaching the bench here with a question for you: Is this meditation that Matt does to heal himself actually working? Because as we see it in the episode, he just kind of thinks about the bad things that have happened to himself and then stops.
1: I think it's a minor story blip. I think we've gotten enough, you know, referencing that Stick has used this, that he's taught it to Matt, but Matt hasn't fully mastered it to the point where stick has
0: fair enough. I kind of like the idea that amidst all this other stuff, there's a portion of his training. That's just complete mumbo jumbo. And it, it doesn't do much of anything.
1: And you think about too, how it came in to be presenting. It was easily the most comic booky transition of anything on this show to date.
0: His actual meditation. You mean?
1: Yes. Yeah. And then the flashback with the, with the yeah. wipe to the side and then, Hands extended flashbacks of the fighting, the point of view of Fisk wailing on him, okay, we get it he 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 hasn't gotten it because the amount of work that Claire's had to do on him too it's not work. He's not fully formed he doesn't have the suit. Why should he have all of his potential realized at this point
0: indeed that's that's why he is still the masked man i uh, I wonder if he will ever become daredevil i have not looked at any of the episode titles for 112 or 113 pete here's another question for you who is betsy i said maybe uh maybe she's older maybe she's younger what's your off the wall theory
1: matt what if betsy's not a human being
0: like inhuman to tie us the agents of shield and she shoots like lasers out of her ears or something she's laser ear
1: what if betsy is a critter I,
0: I, I'm sticking to my original statement that I like it best of all if the show never reveals who Betsy is. But doggone it, it would be something if Mister Potter gets to go back to his house and some or his apartment in some sort of end of season montage as the city is now a better place with Fisk taken care of, and he walks in there and he opens the door and there's some like little like tiny like you know teacup dog and he's like. Oh, I'm home, girl. And there's got a little thing around the neck, and it says Betsy. I, I, you know what, Pete? I might weep. I might weep.
1: If it's not a boa constrictor, it's a poor choice.
0: <laughs> that might have a certain um, less effective reveal, but you know whatever works for Melvin Potter is okay by me.
1: Well, Matt, one has to speculate, given what we know about. TV drama and how many gunshots actually count. We've watched Sky get shot twice on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because that's the number where you really mean it and can still come back. And though we leave Wesley with five blood-soaked bullet holes, is he gone?
0: I think that Wesley absolutely is gone. I would not be shocked at all if the next episode features Tony Leonard Moore playing dead Wesley a- in such scenes as dead Wesley in the chair, dead Wesley on a slab as Fisk talks to him, Wesley in a coffin. Uh, I-, I think that his... his Desley? Um, <laughs> de- oh Desley. Hashtag Desley. Um, I like it. Uh, but... I- I would be surprised if if there's any sort of patch him up type thing. Let's not forget, even on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and if we're about to spoil something for you, too bad it was from last season. Uh, try and keep up. Um, <laughs> uh, we love you all. I'm just kidding. But uh, seriously, go check out Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's pretty good. Um, even when she was shot, it was only two, and there was a science way to put her on ice, you know, to pause, lower her metabolism, whatever, like in the same room, and then they used alien interjections to to fix her so that was so above and beyond i doubt that they're going to take um to take him and uh i don't know get him with some gh328 and make him a super powered guy
1: it's been a lot of criticism within the marvel cinematic universe that their deaths don't count to the point that if you haven't seen it yet avengers I'll cover your ears here the um Quicksilver death had been discounted by people. Oh, well, they'll just bring him back with the soul gem. Well, guess what? They've gone on the record and said he's dead. He ain't coming back.
0: Certainly a, a, a finality here, I think, for Mr. Wesley.
1: Where we got full character development of a guy who makes these light uh, suits that they wear you couldn't deke those suits with some kind of uh blood capsules that uh you know as you get plugged that's a form of camouflage and you can come back from that
0: here's the bottom line if you have a story where anything is possible then everything is meaningless and i think particularly in marvel look people continue to say oh but they brought back colson and that was in a whole bunch of the press after avengers well they brought back colson to bring back quicksilver yeah, they brought back one guy who they had no plan to bring back, and the audience reaction surprised them, and there was the opportunity to do something on TV which would profit ABC, ABC Studios, the production wing, Marvel Television, Marvel Inc. You know, it's win, 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 win for corporate synergy. Those were all reasons why they brought him back, not just like, we we bring back people whenever we want because it's magic, because we're writers and we do it. He's, he, I, I'm telling you. James Wesley, dead.
1: We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say.
0: Pete, we start with a tweet from Sean Carr. That's P N E D O T I E on Twitter, and uh, he says, "Watched last night. This is in reference to this episode one eleven. Watched last night. Looking forward to the podcast. They really added dimension. Missed the electro reference in episode ten, for example." Pete, that's fantastic that he's watching with us.
1: Definitely, and uh, yeah, it's it's so gratifying that. People are making our podcast part of the schedule by which they take in uh, this content. So, hey, thanks for doing this with us. Absolutely. Matt, I have a review for us uh, left not on our Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek account on iTunes, but on the pop culture podcast by Fantastic Geek. Home Fry Daddy uh, wrote a review headlined Definitely Worth Your Time, Five Stars, and in it, he writes, I started listening to Matt and Pete with their Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. They noticed things I'd missed, and I enjoyed listening to their conversations, which reminded me of the sort of post-episode conversations my friend and I after uh, Buffy or Angel episodes. The Agent Carter podcast was fun, but I didn't seem to connect as much with those podcasts. The Daredevil podcasts, however, I would categorize as can't miss. They are actually adding. Something valuable with their analyses of these episodes, discussing cinematography choices, fine details in the scripts, the background of cast members, plus really thoughtful insights into the performances of the cast. I finished watching the first season, but I'm looking forward to their take on each episode. One question, though. Why is Pete counting uses of, as he puts it, the S word in Daredevil? Is this a subtle South Park reference or just a touch of prudishness? (laughs) Just teasing, guys, keep up the great work. Well, Pete,
0: do you want to answer that question here and now?
1: I do, and I will. Um, (laughs) I don't think we need the swearing. I know it's TVMA, but it's the Steve Rogers in me language and um i just have a need to point it out and as we know i've i've documented to this point in the series all 57 s words that have been dropped that's a lot of s
0: that certainly is and uh, thank you home fry daddy you are my home slice for sending in such a nice review. And Pete, he's listening and commenting there on the Pop Culture Podcast, which, of course, is where all our uh, all our podcasts are kind of uh, consolidated into one feed, along with some other goodies. And if you haven't heard already, this summer we're going to be definitely changing the pace, but we're going to be doing live commentary tracks to uh, the first season of Star Wars Rebels. Definitely not with the in-depth focus that we've had for Daredevil here we are uh, approaching the uh, one hour 14 minute mark tonight. These will be much much shorter stuff that you can uh, hopefully watch along the episode or at least listen to the the episode audio in the background as we share our various thoughts and whatnot should be kind of you know a summer a summer pace to things so if you're not listening if you're not subscribed to the uh, the pop culture podcast, head over to iTunes head over to FantasticGeek.com for feed details uh, to join us for our our summer O Star Wars but pete you know what's like a fourth of july party every day (laughs) is your twitter feed and how can people follow you on the twitter
1: you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r j-k-a-l-r-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 5,742 followers can't be wrong
0: and while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the, with the podcast in four ways. I'm going to tell you three. We are Fantastic Geek, and that's where you can find us on the dot com, the Gmail, and best of all, the Twitter. But Pete, there's one more way.
1: There is. Get yourself over to the facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word. Like us and you will get plenty more insight and interactiveness with us
0: pete here we are with two episodes of the series left a series wrap up after that and then the uh the daredevil podcast by fantastic geek will go on temporary hiatus with that show or at least that first season in the books uh if you haven't heard dear listener and you probably have agents of shield renewed for season 3 Agent Carter renewed for season two. Uh, also, AKA Jessica Jones hitting Netflix sometime this year. The assumption is December, so uh, we're basically going to do this all again. You know, once uh, once fall time hits. So uh, then, I guess Daredevil season two will be along. It's Pete. It's never going to stop.
1: Buy stock, Independence now.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, with that. I will say to all our listeners, go check out a book from the library and give you, Pete, our final word.
1: Hello? Could you, like, nod or something?